I wonder what you imagine comfort looks like. And let me tell you how I tend to imagine comfort. I tend to think of comfort as uh, after a long day at work or a hard time, getting home, when I get home, the kids are tucked up in bed, it's just me and Emily, or maybe sometimes even just me, and it's grabbing a nice pale ale out of the fridge, and it's going and it's sitting down in front of whatever Netflix show that I'm binge-watching. Um, it's been the, the, the Crown recently, I've really enjoyed watching that, but I've got to the end of that second series, I don't know what I'm going to do for a little while. You know, that, that's comfort for me. That, that, that's, that's what my mind kind of longs for when I'm, when I'm tired or, or in pain or suffering. But then there are other things as well. Um, for, for a moment, for recently, I, real, I found out that, that Little is about to bring out a 250-pound hot tub. And I, and I just imagine what it would be like to sit in, in that hot tub at the end of a busy day, especially as the, the, the weather's getting warmer. That, that to me, sounds like comfort. Or, or then there's, there's something that my mind often drifts to, and I'll make this confession before you. Just a few weeks ago, there was a person who won the lottery, and he won £79 million. Can you imagine £79 million? And I remember hearing this about this on the radio, and my mind started to drift what would happen? Well, how would I live if I won 79 million pounds? And I dreamed of this and that and all the holidays I'd go on and all this stuff. And life would be so easy and wonderful, wouldn't it? And that's where my mind goes when I think of comfort. The easy life, the, the life without the stresses and strains, the, the, the times when everything would flow off and life just works well, or at least as well as I would imagine it. But 2 Corinthians wants to challenge our view of comfort, and especially this chapter that we're looking at right at the beginning. Comfort is the word that's repeated over and over again as we go through this passage, but it's also linked incredibly closely with suffering, and it's often probably closer to suffering than we might imagine, and particularly when we're thinking about the comfort of God. As I've said earlier on in the interview, but I'll just repeat for, for the sake of recordings or whatever, um, Paul has had a very troubled relationship with the church in Corinth. Things haven't gone too well there. They've rejected the message that he sent um, in 1 Corinthians, and he's had some troubled visits since then. But it appears as though um, he, he's, he's, he might have a, a gateway back in. And this, and this book is, is really about his opportunity to come back and teach there again. Um, but while this confusion has been going on, in have arrived people called that Paul calls super apostles later on in the book, people who look impressive, who, who have all the, 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 the status that Paul doesn't appear to have. They have wealth, they have, they're good speakers, they're, they're really impressive. The kind of folks that you could invite your friends to come and hear. Not like that unimpressive Paul. And they are seeking, you get the impression, that they're seeking a comfortable form of Christianity, one that would be widely accepted in the world they live, one that, that would mean they, they could continue carrying on, the, to some degree, the, the life to which they've become accustomed. And Paul graciously challenges that view as he seeks to continue that relationship. So at the beginning, uh, we're told that, that um, it's, it's, knowing all that, we, we see in verse 2, that, God, that Paul sorry, says, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Grace and peace. So, so he's got this opportunity to, to come back and teach them. The first words he wants to tell them is grace and peace. Look, forget all that stuff in the past. I love you. I want our relationship to be restored. And this letter is coming to you in the name of God who is full of grace and peace. I, I, and that's what we want to have, isn't it? That's a great start. And then he goes on and he starts to talk about comfort. And who doesn't love a bit of comfort? But it's a different shaped comfort than the world offers. 
And the first thing I want us to, to, to see here is that God-shaped comfort flows through his people. God-shaped comfort flows through his people. We, we've seen right at the beginning at verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Paul starts by breaking into praise to the God who comforts. God alone who comforts, the God of all comfort, the one who comforts us in all our troubles. Despite the challenges that Paul has faced with the Corinthians, he wants to praise God and let the Corinthians know that God is the one to whom we go to for comfort. And that through all the difficult times that they faced and that he faced, God is the one who will comfort them. He's not a distant, angry, grumpy God out there somewhere wanting to stay far away. He's the father of compassion. He wants a loving relationship with his children. He wants to comfort them. He's the source of all comfort. Paul wants them to know that, that all our comfort stems from God. He's not just a comfort. He's the source of all comfort. Comfort isn't to be found in the arms of another lover. It's not meant to be found in the bottom of a bottle. It's not meant to be found on the other end of a computer screen late at night when nobody's around you. It's not meant to be found in other religions or in a full fridge or in a box of chocolates. It's not meant to be found in any of those places. True comfort is found in God, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. That's where lasting comfort is to be found, in God and God alone. So we see that, but then we also see that there is a close connection between comfort and suffering. You know, that may sound really obvious. Of course, there's, there's a connection between comfort and suffering. And, um, but actually, it probably is a little bit more profound. I mean, think about it. The Corinthians w- w- were attracted to these new preachers that were in town who were who offering a kind of life that, that anyone in the world would aspire to. And, um, you know, you can understand why that might be attractive. You know, you've got Paul, a, a, a guy who's um, not really that impressive, who suffers a lot, and these guys who don't. Which version of Christianity would you want to follow? I mean, be honest about that. We'd like it. We'd like the easier road, wouldn't we? We think that's more comfortable. I think we do fall into this problem where we t- often think that comfort is separate from suffering. We think, we, we, especially in the West now, we think that, that comfort should be the norm. The suffering is the rare thing. That actually if suffering happens in our life, we face it, that's wrong. That isn't the way the world's supposed to work. I don't think most of the world think that. Because probably most of the world don't experience comfort the way we do. We, we do live in a bit of a comfort bubble in the West. And we're easily, we can easily fall into this trap. But suffering and comfort are closely linked. Paul wanted to turn the wrong view of the Corinthians and our wrong view the right way up. See, in the Bible, from beginning to end, suffering is expected in life. Suffering is a normal part of being in a sinful, broken, fallen world. Yet through our suffering, God promises to be the God of all comfort to us. God will be there for us. God will comfort us as we go through these difficult times. Well, the question then is, how does God's comfort come to us? Well, God's comfort is to flow through us to other people. I think it's the sense in here. Verse 4, you see that in the second half? So that we can comfort those 
with any trouble, um, in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. So God comforts us so that we can comfort others with the same comfort that we've received. Why does God promise to comfort us in all our troubles? So that we can comfort others. There's a purpose in our suffering. It's important for us to see that. And one of the purposes here is that we would experience the comfort of God and that we would be able to share it with others. And within within that, that, that's just not instinctive, is it? You see, often when we suffer, when we struggle, when we go through difficult times, when we face troubles and we get punched in the gut, the instinctive reaction is is to... turn in on ourselves and make it all about us and not to look out towards others. That's how we naturally react when we get hurt. And Paul is saying, no, the Christian doesn't suffer like that. The Christian who really understands the gospel suffers in a way in which God's comfort flows out through them. And that's the shape of Christian comfort. And, and within that, we have to, I think what, what we can deduce from that is that the, the The comfort we receive from God in our troubles isn't just sufficient. I think sometimes we say that, don't we? That God is sufficient for whatever we're going through. That that is true, but it's more than that. I think the picture here is that that God is more than sufficient. That God's comfort is more than abundant to what we need. So that we're filled up and we have an overflow so that then we can comfort others. God's comfort isn't just sufficient... It's more than enough as we face trials and as we go through suffering. Well, how do we expect God's comfort to come? I think often we imagine that, that um, we may be, when we're going through difficult times, we get zapped by God from the sky. You know, and, and all of a sudden we feel great within ourselves because God's comforted us. And we've been a, had a great, wonderful, quiet time. And God does speak to us through his word like that sometimes. And God really does encourage us in his word often, I'm sure. And there are times when, when we bring our prayers towards God um, and we, we, we discover a peace that surpasses all understanding. And we, we, can, we can experience that. But here in 2 Corinthians, Paul wants us to see that a normal part of Christian comfort comes from other Christians. It flows through us to others and from others to us. That's a natural way. That's the way God has intended things to be. It's supposed to come through the church family in that way. God's comfort surpasses all our needs so that we can do this. See, often comfort isn't, God's comfort isn't supposed to be just this personal thing, this, thing that we, this verse that we read that, that, that gets us going up in the morning and, and makes us move on, or this, this thing that we've heard in the sermon or heard on the radio or, or sung in a song or read in a psalm that kind of has inspired us, and we write it down in our little journal, and we fold it up, and we put our little elastic band around it, and we put it back on it, put it back, put it in the shelf somewhere and then next time we face suffering we go and we maybe dig out that journal we open it up and then we we read that and we feel encouraged again and then we wrap it away and put it away that's not how we're supposed to be that's not the way it's supposed to be what we're supposed to do with the comforts of God is put them in a box wrap it up tie a ribbon around it and give it to somebody else as a gift we are supposed to 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 give the comfort that we receive to others that's the way that Christians are supposed to deal with suffering. Experience the comfort of God through others, or, or directly from God, God can do that, and then pass it on to other people. It's not supposed to be just a personal thing. There's um, a number of times I've met with people who've been struggling, 
and I've met regularly with them. And one of the things I hear over and over and over again, and I've fallen into this trap myself, is that they'll say to me, where is God in my pain? I'm just looking around and God isn't here. You know, I'm crying out to him and he's not hearing me. I'm in this, this pit and I just can't get out. Have you ever experienced that? And the irony is, I've been meeting them week after week after week after week, telling them and, and loving them and praying with them and trying to encourage them in the gospel. And they're saying, where is God? And I'm thinking, he's, hang on, hello. I'm right here. I'm not that I'm God. But, but, but God is working through me to you. God has sent me, right now I am a hand of God brought to you to be encouragement to you. God God has got his encouragement, his encouraging army all around you. You're just not seeing it. Don't we all fall into that trap sometimes? The normal way God comforts the believer is through his word and through other believers. And we're supposed to share our comfort with others. Now, a couple of things that, just to say about this is, uh, uh, before I finish, is that often we can fall into a, a little game that I like to call suffering Olympics. And that can cause us a bit of problem. See, see the way this works is that we kind of look at somebody else and we see, wow, they're really suffering. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're like gold medal sufferers. Okay? And I've never really suffered like that. So, so I, can't, I, I couldn't encourage them, could I? I wouldn't know what to say. What could I possibly say to somebody like that? Well, then there's the danger of the other way that you, that you think of yourself as a gold medal sufferer. You really know what suffering is. Nobody else does. So when they try and encourage you, you just bat it off and say, you don't know what I'm going through. Or, or, or this is a dangerous game. Whether you have a lot of experience in suffering or whether you have a little, you can mean encouragement to anyone in the church. You know, whether it's a tiny, even if it's just to go with them and pray, can I pray for you? Is it a, a verse that you found really encouraging when you, you were going through a difficult time? Share it. Maybe it's, maybe it's not a verse you can remember. Maybe you just want to open up a psalm and read a psalm with them. Maybe you just want to go over and tell them, you know, I'm praying for you. If there's anything you need, I'll be there for you. There's, there's countless ways in which we can encourage people. What does the comfort of God look like? It, it takes the shape of a cup of coffee with someone you know struggling. It takes the shape of a tap on the shoulder, an arm around the shoulder, a hug, an invitation to dinner, a visit while they're home or while they're in hospital. The comfort of God looks like God's people meeting with God's people to encourage them as they go through difficult times. God's comfort will always be sufficient for you, more than sufficient. It will overflow so that you can encourage others in their comforts. So, what is it the, so, so that's how God's comfort works. It flows through us. But what then is at the center of God's comfort? Well, it's basically this. Hold on to Christ. The second thing I want, point I want to make here is cross-shaped comfort centered around Christ. Cross-shaped comfort. See that in verse 5? Just as we share abundantly in the suffering of Christ, so, all, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. All we have to offer is Christ. That's what we're offering when, when we encourage people. All we have is Christ. Christ is everything. Christ is at the heart of all things. And here we're told to share abundantly in his suffering, but also in his comfort. God's comfort comes into, to us ultimately through Jesus. And as we comfort people, that's all we have to offer. I think there are two senses in which Paul meant this phrase. 
And there's two ways you can read it. And I do genuinely think he meant both. The first sense is this, that, that as we share, in, we, we share in the suffering of Jesus by coming to him for the forgiveness of our sins. So for the first time, where we, where we ex- come into the presence of God and we receive him as our Lord. You see, comfort begins at the beginning of the Christian life at the cross of Christ, doesn't it? As we share in his suffering. The suffering that he died and paid for our sins. As we share in that, we receive the comfort and blessing of God. It starts with seeing what Christ has done for us on the cross. How he has gladly, willingly suffered in our place so that we could be set free from the bondage of our sin. Without Jesus and his cross, we would be utterly lost and we find comfort there. Without Jesus and his cross, we wouldn't find comfort from God. Instead, we would only have the fearful expectation of judgment, of a raging fire that will, that, that will consume the enemies of God. That's Hebrews 10 last week, last Sunday morning we were looking at. Without the cross of Christ, that's where we're all headed. You see, God is interested in our comfort and I'm, in many ways, but the, most, the biggest comfort that he wants to offer people is the cross of Christ for salvation. It's not just about this momentary relief of comfort, but this ultimate salvation. He doesn't just want to save a little bit of part of you. He doesn't just want to encourage a little bit of you. He wants to save you to the uttermost. And if you haven't yet received Christ as your Savior, if you've never said, I want that, then I encourage you to come to Christ today to accept that. And you, will, you can never know the comfort of God unless you first come there. So that's the first sense in which Paul meant this. But the second sense that Paul could mean this as well is, there we go, is this. Sharing in Jesus suffering as a model to live by. Sharing in Jesus' suffering as a model to live by. You see, we see in this passage that Paul lived by the model of Christ, didn't he? Paul had received, um, he'd received the forgiveness of Christ and he'd, he'd been saved himself. And then what does he do? He lives a life of suffering to bring the gospel to others. And that's what he does here. So in verse 6, if we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. Paul is saying, my life is modeled on the gospel of Jesus. Christ suffered to save me so that I could be comforted. So I'm going to suffer to bring the gospel to you so that you can be comforted. And when, when you're comforted, I'm comforted. So that you, and then you alone, you go on and join this. And it, it, it's also a model that the Corinthians go on to do, isn't it, as well? Uh, which produces in you the patient endurance of the same suffering we suffer. And our hope is firm, uh, for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. It's a model that the Corinthians are to live by as they grow in their faith. As they move away from just being baby, immature Christians, as they grow up in the Lord, it is to embrace suffering for the sake of bringing the gospel of comfort to others, those who don't know him, and those that do know him but are in the midst of pain and struggles. So it's a model to live by. So there are many ways in which we can comfort someone. 
But the one thing we should always be seeking to do is to bring them to Christ. However we do that. It's it's really comforting to receive a bouquet of flowers. It really is. It's comforting to to have a meal brought round. It's comforting to, to be cared for in myriads of ways. But can we, in all those things, find ways to point people to the gospel of Christ, to the cross of Christ? Because that's all we have to offer. That's all we have to give. And that is more than enough to get us through the most difficult times. So the shape of God's comfort flows out through God's people. And it is centered around the cross of Christ. The thing is, though, it's easy to say this, isn't it? It's easy for me to say this. To say that embracing suffering is the best way to receive the comfort of God. But it's not easy to do, is it? Let's be honest. It's not easy to do. And the last point I've got here is cross-shaped ministry, a picture of faithful endurance. You see, it's not easy to do, and it's easy for me to say... But it wasn't easy for Paul to say. Paul really knew what suffering was. He wants them to have a true picture in their minds of what a Christian minister looks like, what Christian life looks like. So look at verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. What a description of Christian ministry. You want to sign up? That's that's how he describes it. He's, He's really honest. If you want to play the suffering Olympics, Jesus has got gold, no doubt about it, but Paul has very likely got the silver medal. Paul knows what suffering for the gospel is. He knows what it is. Gospel centered ministry, according to Paul, feels like death. Isn't that challenging, but also a little encouraging? See, we often imagine Paul as being this, this bold guy who always got everything right, who was fearless, who, who could face death, could, could have wrestle with lions and would never have any problems, and he, he'd get stoned and he'd just brush it off and he'd be like Superman and he'd bound up and just carry on his life as if nothing happened because nothing can touch Paul, Right? Well, that's not what we see here. We see a man being really painfully honest, saying, look, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. We just, it was worse than we could imagine, worse than we could bear. It was horrific. It was horrible. We despaired of life. We even considered topping ourselves. We felt we'd received a death sentence from God. This is, this is a guy suffering. And, and as, as, as challenging as that is, the picture of the Christian life is so encouraging as well, isn't it? Are you ever, have you ever scared to death of living as a Christian in this world? There were times when Paul was. I take great comfort in that. Paul was a man like you and I. He clung to Jesus. That's all that made him special. It was Jesus. Gospel-centered ministry could often feel like a death sentence. Well, there are three reasons I think Paul wants the Corinthians to know this. Well, the first thing is, is that you've got the super apostles prowling around. You know, these guys who look really impressive, waving the banner of an easy, wealthy life. And Paul wants to break their spell with a picture of what real gospel Christian ministry looks like. The second thing is, he's just being real. He's just being honest with people. 
He's saying he's not a used car salesman trying to, trying to, trying to sell the, the easiest version of Christianity to people. He's telling them the hard, true facts that living for Jesus will be costly. It won't be easy. It will be painful. There will be times you'll want to give up over and over and over again. That's the truth. And it's really important that we realize what Paul's doing here. He starts off, I don't want you to be uninformed. Are there times when we want people to stay uninformed? We think, you know, if they really knew how hard Christianity was, maybe they wouldn't do it. Maybe if I'm really honest with that person about the sin they need to deal with, maybe they'll give up. And we want to we uninform people about the truth. We, we're tempted, to, let's be honest, we're tempted to do that, aren't we? But we need to not do that and embrace the fact that Christ, the Christian ministry is hard. Christian life is hard. It's not easy. But in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that suffering, as deep and as painful as it was, Paul found a comfort that was beyond all imagining. Christian ministry will look like blood, sweat, and tears. The Christian vision that we have, you know, we we love to think of the idea of planting multiple churches and doubling the size of our church, because that's the glorious part, isn't it? That's That's the figure of the future. But actually, to get to that point, to get there, will be painful. It will be hard. We will be rejected. More people will reject our message than accept it. We may lose friends. We may lose family. We may be not invited to family dinners anymore. It it will involve literally working to the point of death. That's what getting to the vision will look like. That's what gospel ministry looks like. Well, then, if you're sane, you're probably thinking, well, why would anyone bother? And if you're a non-Christian here this evening, you think, you're not selling this Christianity thing very well. You know, Ben, I, I really don't want this. Well, in one sense, I I could completely understand that. But there's a a thing here that that, that we've got to understand, is that there is a purpose even in all of this suffering that Paul went through. And we're told this in in, in that verse um, where he says, but this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves but on God. And then this wonderful little line, who raises the dead. God raises the dead. That's what he specializes in. That's what God does. He brings the death to life. God is the one who brings the the, the greatest good out of the worst of situations. I mean, think about it. The cross of Christ, the worst sin, the the, the horriblest event in human history, where where a truly innocent man died at the hands of wicked, evil, vile men. When Jesus died on that cross, it looked like the devil had won. But what did, Jesus, what did God do three days later? He raised Jesus from the dead. And he didn't just raise Jesus from the dead, he defeated death itself. God brought great comfort to all who were trusting Christ through the worst event in human history. And Paul finds that God does this over and over and over and over again in little ways through his ministry. In verse 10, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. As we face suffering, as we face persecution that we're not really facing yet, but may come, as we face real challenges, as we face rejection for the gospel, as we, we serve and pour ourselves out to the point of death and we feel like giving up, what will God do? 
he will raise us to life over and over and over again. He will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. God has great comfort for those who will trust him, even to the point of death, because he will raise them to life. This, this is past, present, and future tense. Paul says he has delivered us. It's present. He will go on delivering us. Then we have this little line, and we have set our hope on him. That, 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 that's, that's the kind of language that you use when you're talking about the, the glorious appearing of Jesus. We've set our hope on him. He's going to come one day, and even if we have been grounded into the dust, and all of us were just died under the pressure of, of taking gospel ministry in Chesing, said, what's, what's he going to do when he comes? He's going to raise us to life, to eternal glory. Suffering will end, and comfort and glory will go on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Why bother? Because knowing Jesus and serving him and pouring your life out for him is worth it. Nothing beats knowing Jesus. Finding the comforts of God are more precious than gold. You know, it's nice to, to snuggle up in front of the tell at the end of the day with, with, a, with a glass of pale ale and, and watch an episode of The Crown. You know, it's nice to sit in a hot tub on a Friday night, on a hot day. Maybe it's nice to win the lottery. But all these things pale into significance to God. Because I could do all those things, I could have all those things, and my suffering would still be there the next morning. Reality will still exist. Reality doesn't go away because I've spent 45 minutes indulging myself in front of the television. It doesn't even go away if I've got millions and millions of pounds. Sufferings will still be there. But one day, Christ will raise us from the grave. He will take us to glory forever. We will be in his presence, and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And we will know the everlasting comfort of God. There's nothing better than this. At the end, in verse 11, Paul breaks out into praise again. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in the answer to the prayers of many. So we can join in in prayer. But many will give thanks for the suffering of Paul. Now think about this. Aren't you grateful for the suffering of Paul? Aren't you grateful that he spurred on right through all that stuff? Aren't you, grateful? Aren't you pray prayerfully grateful for all the suffering that he went through for the sake of bringing the gospel? Aren't you grateful for that? And as you suffer for the gospel, and as we see fruit for suffering for the gospel. God willing, there will be generations ahead of us who will be prayerfully thankful that we faithfully endured through suffering for the comfort of God for the sake of the gospel. Let's pray. Father God, we just praise you that your comfort abounds and it doesn't just abound in a nice, easy life. Your comfort abounds through suffering. Lord, we praise you that the more we suffer, the more we will discover that your, that your grace is more than sufficient, that your love is more than what we need, Lord, that your comfort is more than what we could ever dream of experiencing. Lord, forgive us when we want to look in all the wrong places for the comfort that you alone can give. Forgive us, Lord, for the times in which we embrace suffering um, and, and embrace the comfort you give us in it, and we haven't shared it with others that we've kept it to ourselves as our own little treasure, when, Lord, you have given it to us to bless your church. 
And forgive us, Lord, when we've ever been tempted to not live for your gospel, but instead to live for fleeting things that don't matter. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.